0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Laura Keller is the Executive Director of the St. Louis Fire Department Foundation. Her job entails raising money for the department and assisting in any way she can. Lately, that's meant helping the department acquire personal protective equipment to keep firefighters safe from the coronavirus. And Keller tackled that task even as she herself battled the virus. She recently opened up to our producer Evie Hemphill about her own experience with COVID-19 earlier this spring
1: before all of the, um, lockdowns and everything kind of came into play. Um, we, I had a uh, trip planned to go just visit family and, um, we kind of even talked about, you know, is it the right thing to do? Should we, you know, let's not fly, let's drive. But we figured, okay, we're going to be in a house with our family. So what could possibly go wrong? And, uh, so we, we, we went and, um, kind of early, mid-March, and stayed with family for about five days, and I traveled with a a friend of mine and my teenage daughter, and we um, had a wonderful time, and we came back and immediately started to feel ill, both my my friend who, who I traveled with and myself, That's Laura Keller, Executive
0: Director of the St. Louis Fire Department Foundation. Now remember, this was back in the very early days of the coronavirus being found in the Midwest. It was not easy to get tested. Laura Keller's friend had a high fever and was eventually able to get tested at a place that was more than an hour's drive away. She tested positive. While Laura couldn't get a test, even after requesting one, she was told to assume she was positive and to self-isolate. Soon she experienced chest pain and difficulty breathing. And here's how Laura described her physical
1: experience with the coronavirus. Over the next 14 days or so, my symptoms were um, chest pain and difficulty breathing and low-grade fever and just dis- disorientation and fatigue. Um, very, very serious. You don't appreciate fatigue until you, you know, really have it. And I'm a single mom who works full-time, so I'm used to being a little worn out. The breathing was pretty terrifying, um, because, um, you literally, I could not take a deep breath. I could breathe, but I could not take a deep breath. And so I would, I would take some time every day to do, um, breathing exercises, guided meditation, things that really focused on relaxing and breathing as best as I possibly could. One of the things that I had that made the difference for me being able to stay home was an O2 monitor. So even when I was very short of breath, I was able to take, um, a mo- you know, able to take monitor and know that I still had 97 or 98% oxygen saturation in my blood, which meant that I was okay and did not need to go to the hospital. Eventually, my breathing improved greatly. I still had to cough for about two and a half weeks, but eventually that went away as well. And after... 17 days, I felt confident enough to have my daughter come home, and and uh, and I was okay. That's Laura Keller, Executive
0: Director of the St. Louis Fire Department Foundation. Laura said she was initially afraid to tell people she had COVID-19. But about three days into her illness, St. Louis Fire Chief Dennis Jenkerson reached out
1: because he needed her help. I got a call from the fire chief who said that we needed to purchase about 12,095 um, masks and he had, you know, he had a vendor that um, could provide them within 10 days to two weeks. And here was all the information and the cost. And I said, okay. And I, you know, we, we talked about it. And at the end of the conversation, I said to him and I was a little bit hesitant because I kind of felt like um, I didn't, I was, I was very scared and I didn't want to tell people that I had it because I was afraid that, I don't know, I mean, I just had this feeling like people would march in front of my house with torches and pitchforks, you know? oh my gosh, she has got it, you know, don't go near that house or something, and so um, even though I was hesitant because he's the fire chief and I work for him in a way, and, uh, you know, I, I, I confided and I said, hey, by the way, I have it, I have COVID-19. And, you know, of course there was just silence and, uh, he said, what are you doing? And I told him that I had my thermometer and that I had my O2 monitor and that I'm, I'm not going to be a martyr and I know. <laughs> but, um, but if I don't answer a phone call right away, don't panic. It's very difficult. Sometimes I need to take a lot of breaks and rest and so forth. And um, so then I was able to go ahead and, and and complete the order and do some other things. And then what was sweet about all of that, though, was then the next day he called me um, to follow up on the order and it had everything gone through. And then the next day he called me to ask me a question. And I don't remember what it was, but I answered it. And the next day he called me to asked me another question, but then he couldn't remember why he had initially called. And I realized it was 8 o'clock on a Saturday night (laughs) and that he wasn't calling for work at all. He was calling to check on me.
0: And that's Laura Keller, executive director of the St. Louis Fire Department Foundation. And Laura stressed to Evie just how grateful she was for Chief Jenkerson's support. Now, Laura's bout with the coronavirus ended as well as it could have. She's now recovered, and she took it upon herself to get tested for antibodies. She says she, quote, wanted to be counted and help our region fight this virus. That also allowed her to donate plasma at the American Red Cross. Now it may help a more seriously ill patient with their recovery. But Laura's story, I think, still hits home a reality that the St. Louis Fire Department deals with every day. Anyone might have COVID-19. And yet the fire department still needs to take their call, show up at their house and provide critical care. And joining me today to talk about how the department is dealing with that is Fire Captain Garen Mosby. Captain Mosby, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much. Good afternoon, Sarah.
0: So your job seems like one of the truly scariest during this pandemic. You can be summoned at any moment to go deal with a sick person at any address. You have no idea if they're infected, if their space is infected. How do you even begin to deal with that?
2: Well, well two things before I answer that question. Something Laura said really resonated when I was listening mm-hmm. that that she was hesitant as close and connected we're, we're a family and as close and connected as she is to the fire department, she didn't want to call, right? She didn't want to feel like she was a burden, she didn't want to be singled out or feel special. Mm-hmm. I need all of your listeners to know that if you feel sick, right, and you can't get in contact with your primary care physician, please call us. We're seeing that, that folks are, are not calling, and mm-hmm. they really should be. So I, I want to, to stress that just listening to it. To, to answer your question, though, uh, we are trained and taught at the very beginning, uh, the entry level of medical care emergency pr- pr- providing is that everyone has it, Right. So it doesn't matter who the person is. You assume that everyone has it. What is it? It is what you don't want to get. <laughs> so the way that we the way that we approach it is that it's, it's putting on proper protective equipment and you have to do it every time, every call, because the the minute you're laxed or you don't put something on correctly or you take it off incorrectly, it's a germ right? It's, it's, it's not something you can see. It doesn't take a lot of it for you to get it. So it's, it's taxing. It's, it's, it can be mentally exhausting, uh, but but we carry on. This is what we signed up to do.
0: So you're always prepared for that amorphous it. But this it, we know, has some complications beyond just the great unnamed it. Um, I imagine you guys are doing some extra sterilization or some extra protective equipment beyond what a firefighter would
2: normally do oh my goodness uh i wouldn't even, we don't have a long enough show to, <laughs> to go to go into all the 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 new processes that have been implemented i will say this i was putting together a timeline for the fire chief on exactly what we did when we did it you know starting back to january 24th i don't i think we might have had one confirmed case in the country and the chief started sending out information when hmm. i went to put together this timeline sarah it was in it was in maybe late february early march I had about four inches uh, of paper on my desk from information we had sent out, communications. Uh, and some of it changed, right? It, yeah. we, were, we were learning more. So, you know, something might be this way on Monday, Thursday. Guess what? Uh, we've learned. So we're going to alter this a bit to, based on the new information that we've had. So, uh, you know, it's sort of champagne problems. I, I think any department member on the job would be right to say, oh, my goodness, we are getting too much information. But 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 those are champagne problems. And if you're sipping champagne, you're not bad off.
0: Th- that's great to know that Chief Jenkerson was so aware of this threat at a point when so many of us were shrugging it off. Uh, and it sounds like that's that served you guys well.
2: It, it, it really did. I, I'll, I'll be even more honest. Back when this, this really, uh, back in January, I'll say, actually, no, December. I was back and forth to New York doing the live rescue show and the chief mentioned it to me (laughs) and I honestly like okay all right I I hear you you know and then he had just gotten back from Italy so he was more connected with a lot of things that were going on abroad boy that could put it on someone's radar being in that country at that point right right He he had just gotten back from a family vacation and so you know you visit a place you are connected even when you return and they had the floods and then the pandemic so you know he is always on top of things i'm not surprised uh and that has a lot to do with the information that the department received he knows it so we know it you know Mm -hmm. january 24th we started surveilling calls differently when you call 911 we're asking you a lot of you know additional calls to find out if you know we need to take extra precautions in responding to your call we put out a health alert to all members so as he got information we got information
0: so with that extra sterilization and these extra steps that you're trying to do um, between people that you deal with, um, has that changed the response time for the department?
2: So the response time, no.
0: That's right? great. We are,
2: we, we are, you'll get a fire truck to your door in less than four minutes, a medic unit between 8 and 10. Hmm. Uh, what has changed, and, and part of the reason we're still able to do that, is because the call volume has relatively stayed around the same of what we're accustomed to dealing The the added challenge is that after these calls now, everything's got to be decontaminated. The back of the medic unit, you know, we've got these foggers. Every engine house in the city has a fogger. Every medic unit has a fogger, and we we mix a CDC-recommended solution, and we fog out uh, the back of the medic unit. We wipe down everything. So it's an added step that wasn't here Four months ago, five months ago, six months ago, and that we're doing. We even got a, a communication recently, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, that hey, you need to start decontaminating your shoes. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a germ. You can you, you can track it. You can transport it on the bottom of your shoes. So, you know, I was in the field yesterday doing a little bit for City TV and we watched the 28 go through the whole process the decontaminating of the shoes the the removal of the ppe it's it's a process and you have to do it right every single time
0: and i feel like you guys have an added layer of complication here because unlike police who also could be called to any address at any time you guys live in close quarters together uh, how have those living situations changed because of covid-19
2: right Right. So if, if you're on a fire truck, we you know, social distancing is something that we are all encouraged to do. Sometimes we, we can really try and do our best to do that, but sometimes it's not practical, mm-hmm. right? We deal in an emergency situation. We live together in in the firehouse. So whereas you can distance within the firehouse, you know, there's sometimes you're gonna work a patient or you're gonna be at a fire and it is not necessarily one hundred percent possible To to be socially distanced, I would say the decontamination efforts have certainly ramped up. Uh, Each house has all the appropriate uh, equipment, the disinfectant they need to to successfully do that. And, And we're motivated to do it right? Yeah. It's not just like we're, we're going to clean the house once. Like, no, we, we want to clean because we're the shift that has to live here. So we want to make sure it's done right.
0: Yeah, that's the best incentive in the world. I, I know that's, some other local fire departments have had some cases. Um, are you aware of any within the ranks of the department? Um,
2: so, so, so this is, this is my, my pre-thought-out response to that question. Uh, we have approximately 800 uniformed women and men that put on the, the uniform and they're battling COVID on the front lines every day. Since January, when we've been tracking this, we've had less than a dozen test positive. Wow. So, like So When you put that into context, yeah. that is amazing. And I, I almost don't want to say it, but it it is it is factually true less than a dozen
0: when you say less out, than out a dozen have, women every day have those been clustered within any particular um, firehouses or is it just random cases here and there
2: you know what I would I would I, I probably shouldn't answer that but I will I Thank would you. say there was a a sm- <laughs> there there was a small cluster that I am aware of mm-hmm. um but that was a handful of those I do not know the specifics of the other and Part of the reason I don't know is because I don't have to answer questions like that.
0: Sure. But so at this point, what you're aware of is the firehouses are doing okay. Nobody's currently suffering any sort of cluster
2: or outbreak. No, no, no. They've been professionally cleaned outside of what we normally do on a daily basis. And again, our members have what they need uh, and, and we're motivated to get it done.
0: So you guys tweeted yesterday, I believe this was like yesterday afternoon, that you'd gotten information about an anonymous complainant saying that you didn't have enough (laughs) personal protective equipment in one very specific (laughs) engine house. Um, And and you guys were very proactive on putting it out there that you'd gotten this complaint. You investigated it. You found that that was not the case. What was going on there?
2: You know, uh, Right. So uh, the chief, I was in my office yesterday afternoon and the tree, the chief uh, came in and he, you know, let me know that we, we had this complaint and that he was going by personally hmm. to put eyes on the situation. And so I requested to accompany him. Uh, and, and here's the thing, like we, we talked about it earlier in this conversation, that four inch stack of papers, uh, The the proactive, Measures that the department have, has taken since the beginning of January to ensure that everyone had or has everything. So uh, it was kind of a shock to receive that type of complaint. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I, I thought there's no way that that's possible. And once we got to the engine house and we you know got eyes on the log and we you know looked at their supplies it was not based on factual information so despite a pandemic running you're still going to have individuals that have their own agendas mm-hmm. and i'm not sure what was intended to be accomplished but uh certainly not based on factual information and you know the the, the members at the house were actually shocked that that was the complaint. And like I said, if there's going to be a legitimate complaint that any firefighter in the city, any paramedic, any member can launch is that they have received an overabundance of information. I would support that. (laughs) I I really would. But there again, those are champagne problems.
0: And uh, Laura had mentioned earlier her efforts to try to get protective equipment. Um, You're saying you guys have enough. The department is not um, facing a shortage at this point.
2: You know what? I've got to, again... Give hats off to the leadership, uh, the fire chief and our logistics uh, coordinating supervisor, Tracy Brady. I I spoke with Tracy earlier today and, you know, asked her what her concern was. And she had at one point worked seven weeks straight, (laughs) seven weeks straight. And she she told me that, you know, and I'm just paraphrasing this, COVID is a, a big problem, but it's a small piece of it. You know she says she lays awake at night thinking about the budget how to procure how to keep how to maintain ppe so it's beyond a full-time job she's obviously passionate about it and the chief always says we we stay ready so that we don't have to get ready now no one could have you know imagined that this would would come and and affect us to the magnitude that it has but there was a certain amount of readiness that the st louis fire department had at the beginning And we've been able to maintain that, particularly in the area of personal protective equipment, And and we're okay right now.
0: Boy, that is great to hear. I know so many places are struggling with that. And and it's great to see that that proactiveness has has paid off for you guys and and that you're doing well enough to worry about those champagne problems as opposed to the (laughs) the really hardcore ones. So going forward, it it sounds like one of the things you mentioned up top um, is that if people are feeling ill and they need to call the fire department, they should not feel bad about doing that. Any other thoughts you want to leave us with today as far as the members of the public in in St. Louis?
2: Well well the, the world is reopening or mm-hmm. <laughs> the area is reopening Monday, right? And if there's any concern or something we're watching is that maybe with things reopening that folks won't take it as seriously as it truly is. Just because businesses businesses are reopening on Monday, COVID hasn't really gone away. It's still there. So it's it's still essential to maintain the social distancing aspect. It's still important to to, to wash your hands, uh, use hand sanitizer, and just be be smart and, and stay abreast to what's going on. We, if you're feeling sick, we are emergency service provider. If you can't get a hold of your primary care physician, do not hesitate to call us. It is why we're here, and and uh, we we can't wait to to do come out and help.
0: Well, those are some good reminders. Um, Be smart is something that we could all stand to think about going into this weekend. So uh, St. Louis Fire Captain Garen Mosby, um, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Until next time, Sarah, thank you so much.
0: This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.